Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. Hang on to your Bibles and uh, keep them open to this passage if you don't mind. We're going to refer to it uh, throughout the message. I want you to follow along with us. If we could, let's start reading in verse number 14. The Bible says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, cried and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. Can I pause? This isn't part of the message. Can I, can I point something out, though? Even though this, uh, this young lady is possessed with a demonic spirit, this demon knew the truth when it heard it. But just because it knew the truth and spoke the truth that uh, these guys were preachers of the Most High God, Paul did not tolerate the wrong spirit saying the right thing. Amen? Boy, that, hey, write that down, will you? Amen? I'll come back to that. Hey, let's, let's read on before I get sidetracked. Look at verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of her gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes, that's Paul and Silas, and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the, uh, into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. We've just read to you, and we want you to keep your Bible open, as we said, uh, the story of two men trying to obey and serve the Lord. And in their obedience to God, we see that, uh, that their aim was not church building, it was not to have a lot of things. Look at the aim of Paul and Silas in, in this brief passage that we read to you. The aim of what they are uh, trying to do is get the, get the gospel message to a couple of souls. Right? Everything that they go through is all a direct result of their pursuit of trying to see people saved. And so today, I want to ask you a question. Are you in the pursuit of trying to see people saved? 
Do you want to see people saved? Amen. Amen. Should that not be our chiefest goal? Among our chiefest goals in life, see people saved, bring glory to God, disciple people. Amen? Right? I'm sure that's what your pastor wants, right? And Mr. Nay as well. But that should be something that every child of God, whether you're part of this church or not, that we should be in the pursuit of trying to see people saved. I'm preaching today about all because a soul needed salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be in this place with your family, with Brother Gary, Sister Renee, Lord, with our friends at the Sand Hill Church. Thank you so much, God, for the service that we have had thus far and those wonderful songs. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of all the praise that we've given thus far. And Father, you're worthy of our attention, of giving our heart, Father, of, of worshiping you beyond this message and beyond this service. I pray, Almighty God, would you anoint us to declare your word clearly, truthfully, and as diligently as we can. Father, we pray that as you put your hand upon my lips and my mind and my heart to declare your word, would you also put your hand upon each of us as we receive your word and our application of your word as well. Father, you truly are so good to us in giving us your son, but you also have given to us great instruction and great grace to get us through the struggles and difficulties of this life. Help us, Father, Lord, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior, and amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So, <clears throat> Paul and Silas, we are familiar uh, with the, uh, the middle of this chapter more than we are the beginning of this chapter. And we'll get to the middle of it, Lord being our helper, in a few moments. Um, but I, I would like to place some emphasis on what these men were doing because we see that um, they, they were trying to stay the course in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? They were doing their best to try and help people to understand that they were sinners in need of a Savior. We see such a thing happen starting in verse number 14 where they encounter a woman by the name of Lydia. And then we're going to see in, in verse 16 that there's someone else that is mentioned that they encounter. And every time, the, the goal is the same. It doesn't change based on who they are around. The goal is always, there's a person, we need to see whether they're saved, and we try to reach them with the message of the gospel. They do not try to reach them with their charisma. They don't try to reach them uh, with uh, their ability to, to say things in the right way or to repeat the Romans road in perfect order. They're trying to reach them on a personal level of compassion because they know that these people need this vital information about the Lord Jesus and it will literally change their lives and their eternity. Now, I want to point out, though, if you're, if you're going to take notes this morning, if you want to write down point number one, I think the first thing that you should pay attention to is, uh, is what they receive for all of their trouble. Would, if you would, point number one is simply this. I want you to see the chastisement of these disciples. Paul and Silas keep plowing deep into all these cities here in Asia Minor with the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everywhere they go, they are confronted with people going about their lives, and these people are in need of salvation. Amen? Amen. 
Just like here in Sandusky, in Castalia, in Bellevue, in all the areas around about, you are going to encounter lots of people who need the message of Jesus Christ. But notice what happens for Paul and Silas, that in the midst of all of this, though while they're trying to reach people, they come across two souls. One of them is named, verse 14, it was Lydia, a seller of purple, and she's, uh, purple was a, 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 color of fabric that was very difficult to come by and therefore because of its scarcity was of high value and she was able to get her hands on the materials to either make it or she uh, uh, had the means to dye it and she would sell this purple material and people would buy it at a great cost, meaning she likely had incredible wealth. Also, we see that this woman, she was now a believer on the Lord Jesus because of what they were doing. Have you ever gone through ministry as every person here, whether you're the pastor, whether you have no formal ministry whatsoever, every person has a ministry. It might be a ministry to the little kids in your church. It might be a ministry within your home. It might be a ministry to your classmates in school. Every person has a ministry. And sometimes we feel like we're not making a difference. Boy, every now and then it's awful good when you come across someone and there's an immediate difference. Amen? That happens here with Lydia. And um, can I say, those, those are some of the days that keep you smiling. Those are some of the things that keep you smiling when you get to some of the more difficult times of ministry. Here we have that they, uh, they see this soul in need of salvation. In verse 14, they see Lydia. And then in verse 16, there's a nameless uh, young lady, just a certain damsel, we are told, that ha- is possessed with the spirit of divination. They met with them, and, and she was bringing her master's great gains with her soothsaying. There passion for everyone that they came across is a great inspiration to me that they simply cared about individual souls. Do we care about filling churches or do we care about individual souls? We should care about individual souls. There is no individual soul that is too small that the Lord didn't give his life for them. Amen. There is no individual soul that is so broken that the Lord doesn't reach out in compassion towards their brokenness. There is no individual soul that God looks at and says, they have gone too far for me to give my son for them. No, everyone, every individual, every person here and every person that you come in contact with, they are a soul that is in need of salvation. And there is a cause and effect that happens in this, uh, in this chapter and all throughout the Bible and all throughout your life, really, that everywhere you go, there's a cause and effect. You reach somebody with the gospel, That's the cause, and the effect will be their life will be changed, but also there will be other things that happen as a result of your obedience in reaching them with the gospel. Paul and Silas, the Bible tells us that they they share this, this this message of of the Lord Jesus, of his death, burial, resurrection. People are saved. Lydia is saved. This little damsel, she uh, she is saved also. And, And when she is saved, she no longer is using the spirit of divination to bring to her masters great gains by her soothsaying. In other words, she was a trickster, but she was able to read people, even if this was a satanically inspired and uh, empowered thing that was going on in her life. She no longer was doing that. How do we know? Because she quit her job at the fortune teller store. Hello? She quit her job, and now these guys that were making uh, bank off of her, 
Now they're upset, and now they want to do something very important, or they want to do something very serious to Paul and Silas. The Bible tells us, verse number 20, that they took, the, they took Paul and Silas into the marketplace and brought them to the magistrate, saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. They're teaching customs that are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, because we're Romans. And notice this, that in all that they're doing to preach the gospel and reach these two souls, then what happens to them? They get brought into prison. They are chastised publicly, openly, and they have physical stripes and rods laid across their back all because a soul needed salvation notice this that they are chastised for bringing the gospel message to people who are in need i'm taking a few moments to point this out because we when we hear paul and silas what's the what's the event that we usually think about them being in prison and then what happening then them getting set free yeah good job bible students i'm proud of you but this is the lead up to that they cared about souls. And then they got thrown into prison because they cared about souls. Yeah. Pastor, that's a pretty downer message on Pastor Appreciation Day to share with us that uh, you, might, you might get into big trouble for, for telling people the gospel message. Now, when you phrase it that way, it might seem bad. But don't people still need the Lord Jesus? Yes. They still desperately need him, even if things are temporarily bad for us, don't we have within us the love of the Lord Jesus to try and reach them with the gospel so that they could be saved? Is that not part of our new nature that we have the Lord and we want to share the Lord with people? The Bible says in the book of 1 John that if we see, our, we see someone that has need and we shut up our bowels of compassion toward them, knowing that we have this world good and we could do something about it, John says, how then dwelleth the love of God in you if you can help and you don't help? That's it. That's in material things. Much more, what about the gospel? And so here, Paul and Silas, they're thrown into prison because of what they have done. How wonderful is it that people need Jesus? How wonderful is it that we have the message of Jesus? We should never be shocked by what Satan does when we're trying to tell the people about the Lord. Right? You're going you're gonna to be, there's going to be opposition. You will be attacked. You will be persecuted. You will encounter difficulty. It's going to happen. And so don't come into this thing thinking, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to show up at church. I'm going to sit in these wonderfully comfortable green padded pews. I'm going to listen to Pastor Gary. And things are just going to be awesome. And then I'm going to go about my way. That is not how God designed for this to be. He designed for you to get your hands dirty. He designed for you to, uh, to be active and doing things. And when that happens, there will be difficulty in your life. But God never brings you into difficulty to say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with you now. Rather, God will bring you into this where you reach someone and then they are faced with a decision and then you might face difficulty because of your obedience to God. And now you say, what do I do now? God will look at that and say, I'll take care of that. I know what I'm going to do. Just keep trusting me. Suffering is a definite part of Christianity. Change so these two men, they're preaching the gospel, changing their lives, and you know what their reward is? They get thrown in jail. Amen. Boy, doesn't that sound great, Pastor? <laughs> Just go right from here right into a jail ministry, praise the Lord. That sounds dreadful. I don't want that. But you know, if God caused that to happen, he would be faithful in the jail. Sure, 
Amen? Amen? Suffering is part of what you're going to go through. Here's what the Bible says. It, it promises Christians we will suffer. The problem is our Western, uh, our Western churches, do you, do you know what our problem is? We're allergic to suffering. Right? Suffering. Oh, no. I don't want that. I'll do anything to avoid pain, suffering, persecution. But Jesus tells us this is part of what we're going to go through. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. He says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, with all, with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. For your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else I be absent, I may hear of your affairs and you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. He said, you're going to have adversaries, but don't be terrified in anything based on what your adversaries are doing. He says, which is to them an evident token of, of perdition. He says, they're going to persecute people who, who are serving the Lord. That's obvious. That's an evident token of their soon destruction. Right. But he says, but to you, when you are persecuted, it is to you salvation and that of God. But unto you, it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Sometimes our attitude towards this is, OK, hold on. I don't like Philippians 129 that it says I'm going to suffer. Let me let me cross that out. No, just accept it. Right. Accept it. Let me give you another verse that I think might sweeten the deal a little bit. Here's, here's Romans 8.18. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Amen. So care about souls. There's going to be consequences. When you face those consequences, remember, God has it all under control. Amen? Amen. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. He says, Consider what I say, and the Lord will give thee understanding in all things. Remember that, the, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein, because of the gospel, I suffer trouble, as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we reign with him, we will... If Excuse me. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. God will always be faithful. And if, even if we fail, he is still going to be faithful. Our suffering is not without purpose, church. It is for a point. There is a plan. God has a purpose for what you're going through. That was point number one. Point number two is this. Don't just look at the chastisement that the disciples received because they cared about souls. But look at the, not just the, the chastisement of the disciples, now see the continuance of their devotion. Now, this is familiar territory, so you should perk up and sit up nice and straight because you're going to look at it and say, oh, I know this part of the story. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, and at midnight. What time? Midnight. What if a uh, pastor said, hey, we're going to have a midnight worship service? Some of you would be like, sign me up. And some of you would be like, catch you later. <laughs> Amen? Some of you are going, midnight? I've been in bed for four hours by the time midnight comes around. Amen? At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. 
and the prisoners heard them. What happened at the midnight hour? Their, their devotions did not stop because of their pain. Just because they encountered difficulty, that did not mean that, well, this bad thing happened and now I'm not going to serve the Lord anymore. Rather, that just, they just went on with business as usual of trying to serve the Lord. And if you care about souls, don't lose sight that in all of your serving the Lord, you still need to pay attention to know the Lord. I told our church... Um, I don't know how long ago I, I mentioned this in, in, in kind of along these terms that um, sometimes when, when you minister to other people, you can pick up a bad habit of only trying to care for their needs. And you're always in search of scriptures to share with them and songs to sing to them and things to do for them. And sometimes what ends up happening is you don't take the time to personally have devotions to help you know the Lord better. Amen, that's good. Amen. And it should not be that way. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to reprove you. I'm trying to encourage you. Because there are lots of times that instead of hunting for that message, preachers, yeah, what we should be doing is just spend some time with the Lord. The, the, the messages happen. Amen. Amen. Right. Instead of saying, OK, I'm going to I'm going to hunt out a new song that I'm going to sing. Maybe what you should do is say, God, I want to spend some time worshiping you. Amen. Amen? And those songs will come. Amen? Instead of trying to get all of the things organized to make sure that you can lead whatever group or whatever thing, whatever ministry that you're trying to help out with, maybe what you need to do is spend a little time in devotion where you're not looking for that gold nugget. Rather, you're just spending time with the Lord that you're trying to minister to people about. Amen? Don't lose sight of your need to know the Lord. Amen. How many love the Lord in here? Amen. Amen. So don't don't stop devotion just because of difficulty. Although their obedience to Christ brought them pain, look at their response to this injustice. Devotion. Difficulty inspires devotion in the heart of a child of God. We look at all of our pain and we say, Lord, I'm running to you instead of running away from you. If we could teach our young people this, if we could learn this and then teach this to our young people, what a difference it would make in our corner of the world. Don't run from your problems. Just run to the Lord. God will be there. So what do they do? The Bible says that they prayed. I can do that. But I also believe that you can do that. Can you pray? Can you pray? I, I love this morning, your generational prayer. Even the little 10-year-olds and unders, they were like, we can pray for, for Brother Gary and Sister Renee. Do you know why? The Lord, he instills within us the ability to call on his name. So if we have that ability, that should be part of our devotion life, to pray to the Lord. Don't that we sometimes overlook prayer as if that should be the last resort or if that is just something we do in extreme circumstances, but that should be one of the most obvious, most useful and most used tools that we have at our disposal to take time to pray. Amen. Amen. And they sang praises. 
They did not overlook the need to lift up their heart and lift up their voice and worship God. Brother Matt, that's good for everybody else. We've got singers at church. They're going to take care of that. I've got news for you. You don't have to be a good, you don't even have to be a mediocre singer to sing praises to God. Do you know why we sing in church? Do you ever ever think about this? Do you ever think why we sing in church? It's because when you speak things out of, it's coming from your heart. Right. And when you sing, it takes regular language to a, to a place that normal words don't take you when you add music to it. It is it is something that moves us and stirs us. But more than that, it moves the heart of God. There's music in heaven. There's worship in heaven. So should we not be in the practice of singing about the greatness of God while we're here? They didn't do it in church. They did it in prison. They did not do this, however, so that the prisoners would hear them, but they didn't do it so quiet that the prisoners didn't hear them. What was their aim? Their aim was simply to bring glory to God because God was worthy of their praise. The Bible says at midnight hour, now Paul, he said, all right, Silas, uh, you lead in song or my lead in song? Silas said, all right, I'll lead prayer, you lead song. All right, here we go. And they, the Bible says they prayed. I don't know if it was like that. I'm speculating. Probably wasn't like that. But they, they begin to lift up their voices to God. And the act of doing that perked not just the ear of God, but it also changed the atmosphere of the people around them. Amen. How many times have you had a bad day and you show up to church and things turn around? Sure. How many times have you had a rotten attitude you show up to church and after a while your, your attitude changes your perspective, your circumstance might not necessarily change just because you walk in these doors. But if your heart is, is soft enough, you can change your whole attitude and perspective and outlook about those circumstances. Walk out of church and think, man, God is good. My situation is still bad, but God is still good. You should sing praises at midnight. Your midnight might be a lot of things. It might be a midnight of emotional pain, but you should still sing at midnight. Your midnight might be a rejection from a family member or a loved one, but you should still sing at midnight. Your midnight might be the breakdown of the home unit, of of a marriage, but you should still sing in your midnight. Amen? Your midnight might be the death of someone that you hold dear, but you should still sing at midnight. Amen. Amen? Your midnight might be an unanswered prayer that you've prayed a bunch of times and it just doesn't seem like it's ever happened. What should you do? You should still sing in your midnight. Your midnight might be something that you don't understand why it is so difficult and it is hard going, but you should still sing in your midnight. Your midnight might be a broken dream, a lost job, an unstable relationship. It does not matter what your midnight is, but we should still praise the Lord in our midnight. Midnight might not be the time that decent prisoners have their devotion life. We're not called to be good prisoners. By nature as Christians, we, we don't make good prisoners, do we? We've been called to liberty. So here they are, shackled in the inner prison, likely as a hole on the inside of prison, and they are down below the, where everyone else is, in, in a, a, the, the lowest point in a prison. I don't mean to be gruesome, because we're going to eat in just a few minutes when, uh, when I'm done yapping. Uh, can I point out, when you're in the lowest part of a prison that probably didn't have um, indoor plumbing and electrical wiring for lights, 
It was dark. It was damp. It was disgusting. Hello? I'm one for alliteration, but man, that's gross the further you get. And they still sang praises to God. Why shouldn't we sing praises to God? Are things so bad that we can't praise the Lord? They might be bad now, but I promise you, they will be better after you praise. It doesn't solve the problem, but it might change something in your heart. We are not called to be shackled. We are called to liberty. You've endured the two longest points. Hang with me. I'm nearly done. I want you to see not just the, the chastisement that the disciples received. I want you to see the continuation of their devotion. Now, if you would, I want you to see the, their commotion and the deliverance. Their commotion was this. They sang praises. And after they sang praises, God decided he was going to do something about it. I, I've wondered about this, and there's a lot of what-if questions that you can ask in life, and you can ask a lot of what-if questions about the Bible. Um, but sometimes I just like to wonder, what if they hadn't sang praises? What if they hadn't worshipped? Would God have done what he's about to do in verse 26 and 27? Look at, what he, look at what happens. You probably know it. If you don't, follow along and act like you do. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. When did this happen? When did the earthquake happen? At what time at night? At midnight. Because of what, what were they doing at midnight? They were worshipping. They had devotion. They were singing and praising to God. Right? And so... There's an earthquake at midnight at, on the heels of their worship service so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately, immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners have fled. I want to point something out that we're just coming right back to where we started. What happened to get them into this mess? They saw two people that needed to be saved and while they were trying to reach them with the gospel they got thrown into prison and while they were going through the pain of their obedience to God and their reward for trying to reach the no, reach the lost people around them the, here they are they're just going to worship the Lord whether they're in prison or whether they're out in a, in a synagogue or a temple somewhere they're praising God and when this happens what, are they, what, what now is going on? earthquake Causes everything to be unlevel. All the doors open up. Everyone's bands. They break off, the, off of them. They're no longer chained. And then what presents itself? Another soul. We might be tempted to say, Hallelujah, the doors are open. Let's get on out of here, Silas. Silas, come on, let's go. But that's not what they did. You see... We, we sometimes pray that God will, God will answer some big prayer. He answers it, but then we miss. We, we start getting off of the real mission why we're still here. Because souls need salvation. Yeah? The Bible tells us, Paul and Silas, they see this jailer. The jailer, eh, he knows everyone's going to escape. He just knows it in his heart. He thinks, I'm a, I'm a dead man. The role of the jailer was to keep people incarcerated. And now everyone is loose. There's no way he can fend all of them off. They're just going to flee. And if one of them flees, he is going to die. And so he just says, I'm going to end it now. He draws his sword not to execute the prisoners, but to take his own life. And Paul and Silas... They see a soul in need of salvation. And what do they do? The Bible says, verse 28, here's the commitment to their duty. 
Last point. The commitment to their duty was, here they are, there's another soul. And they go right back into trying to help. Instead of running, instead of fleeing, instead of trying to save their own skin or their own neck or however you want to phrase it, what do they do? They care for this guy. Their commitment to their duty was this. Verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. What if they hadn't praised? I don't think that there would have been a jailbreak because I don't think there would have been an earthquake, right? Hard, hard to prove that, but I just speculate with me for just a second. But I also don't think that there would have been any need for Paul and Silas to figure that the other prisoners were still there if the other prisoners hadn't heard them in their devotion to God. You, sh you and I must be consistent in our devotion to God if we want to make a difference in people's lives. We should not be up in people's faces saying you need to get saved or go to hell. True statement. But our devotion and our love towards people, Amen. it ought to shine through in everything that we're doing. Yeah, not just when we see that they need to be saved. Yeah, amen. amen? A lot more we could say. I think you've got it. Just look at what happens. These, he says, look, sir, do thyself no harm. We're all here. Everyone heard them praying, and they all stayed put. You get a bunch of people incarcerated, and the, and the jailhouse opens. Something serious has happened inside of their hearts in order for them to not all immediately run. Verse 29, then he called for a light. Who's the he in verse 29? The jailer, right? The jailer, he calls for a light. And sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus. Didn't say, Put your money in. No. They didn't say, Be baptized and then you're saved. No, baptism is a result of something that, that we do as, uh, as something that's already happened in our hearts because we are saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And you notice this, there's more souls. There's more souls. Their commitment to their duty was just simply this. Even though they were going to jail, they were imprisoned by the Roman government. Here was a Roman government official that needed salvation, and they reach him with the gospel. Every prisoner, including Paul and Silas, could have fled. Do you remember what got Paul and Silas into this mess? One more soul. And then one more soul. And then there's one more soul. What do you do when you encounter somebody who needs Jesus? Do you go about your way? Do you go on the other side of the road? Do you ignore them? Do you go out of your way to not have an, a, an uncomfortable conversation with them about the love of Christ? Or do you care about them? Not every, not every conversation are you going to be able to have an open door to tell people about Jesus. But you should be looking for the door to be cracked. Amen? If the door is open, go through it and tell them about Jesus. Amen? I've got a lot more. I think we're going to be done right here. Church, isn't God good to us? Let me leave you with this scripture. The Bible says that we should not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap in due season if we faint not. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. 
If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.